Hello and welcome to the Medical Student Ambassador podcast. In this Day in the Life of series, we'll be interviewing clinicians at the Great Ormond Street Hospital from a variety of different specialties. We're hoping to give you insight into what it's like to work at GOSH and how our guests got to where they are today. In this episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Bridget Callahan, a general paediatric consultant at GOSH. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Vicky, a final year medical student at the University of Leeds. And I'm Christine, one of the neonatal consultants at Great Ormond Street Hospital and the lead for the undergrads at GOSH as well. We're very excited to be interviewing Dr. Bridget Callahan today. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. So could you tell us a bit more about your role and your specialty? What does it involve? Yes, certainly, Vicky. And I'm absolutely delighted to be here. I'm a general paediatrician. In fact, I was the first appointed general paediatrician at Great Ormond Street 14 years ago. And my role is working in the international department. We have a lot of children across the world who need our expertise. And I arrange for their safe transfer to GOSH and their holistic care under lots of different specialists quite often. And then an efficient transfer home and relaying all that information. So I lead a team of general paediatric fellows. There's nine to deliver the plans of the specialists to those international children. Thank you very much. So would you mind just sharing with us how your day-to-day looks like? Yeah, of course. So we have got 50 beds in the international department, 50 inpatient beds. And our day-to-day work is very much as in any ward across the NHS. We have a handover at Harper State where we go through the patients with the named nurse in charge. At the end of that, we allocate the patients to the doctors who are present at the rounds so that we have as much continuity of care as possible. And then we do rounds on the children. Our children come from a whole range of countries across Europe, across the Middle East and across the world. And so sometimes we have to use translators on site for that. And sometimes we use Google Translate or other translating solutions. So, you know, we have the big word and other translating services that we use. And we go around and of course our parents are a long way from home and their children have been sick for a long time. So we have to listen carefully to the parents, review the child, make sure that the plan is clear to the child and the parent and that everything's in place for each day that we move the child along their patient journey. After rounds, we have a safety huddle on the ward where we gather around the board and we review the situation. We basically go through the early warning scores, and we use at Gosh the paediatric early warning scores for each of the children who are on the ward. And at the end of that, the whole team, so the doctors, the nurses, allied health professionals, we agree who the sickest child on the ward is and any children that we need to keep a close eye on. That little team huddle lasts about 15 or 20 minutes. And then in the afternoons, we tend to have governance meetings. So we might have our risk assessment group meet or infection control meetings. If there are any multidisciplinary team meetings that we need to have, we do that. Twice a week, we have what's called a flow meeting where we look at all the children who need to come to the hospital and who are waiting in other hospitals across the world to come. And we think about how we can make those journeys safe. And also we look at the children who need to leave and how we're going to get them efficiently and safely discharged. So those meetings happen twice a week. We have our education program with our fellows. Most of our fellows are overseas fellows who are committed general paediatricians at various stages in their career. 
and we have an active education program for them. And then when I get home, I've got three children. So my day-to-day means my work really starts when I get home, making sure that homework is done and they're all fed and watered and everything's prepared for the next day. So yeah, that's a little summary of my day. You think that you can keep working on personal life balance? Yeah, I think it's very important to do that. Well, in any specialty, but I think as a mother, you have two jobs. You have your professional job and you have your home job. And so balance is very important. I'm very fortunate in that I do this job, which I love. I used to work in the field in international pediatrics. I worked with Aboriginal children in Uindamu in Central Australia. And I worked in India and in South India in a Catholic mission hospital. So for me, this is my dream job. And I'm fortunate I'm from London, so I'm working in London. And my dream job, I could work less than full time. So that allows me to be able to do my work as a mum as well. So to try and keep balance because it's very important to have enough reserve energy to do things that you want to do well, rather than feel too accented on one side or the other. Wow, sounds amazing. Do you mind sharing your career journey with us and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I trained at Birmingham Medical School. I'm the first family member to ever train as a doctor. And the only doctor I was familiar with was a general practitioner growing up. So when I went to medical school, that was kind of in my mind that I'd like to be a general practitioner. I'm from North London. So general practitioners in North London those days didn't tend to like be delivering babies or doing anything like that. You were very much in primary care, triaging and sending children and adults into hospital. And that's what I thought I'd do. And I was training to do that when I went to work in India as a year out to do some voluntary work. And that hospital was very short-staffed with paediatricians. And in a resource-poor setting, if parents can't afford healthcare, they will reserve it for their children. And so I found that my love of paediatrics grew then because I had to understand what was coming in and I had to understand the pathophysiology. And it was a steep learning curve for me. And when I left India, I decided that I would be a GP with a special interest. So I went back to London and because I loved the cultural challenges of working in India, I decided to train in the East End. So I did my training in many hospitals across the East End, which is For those of you who don't know, that's the most culturally diverse part of London. And I actually then was sort of headhunted by a training program director. He said, no, 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 you you don't want to do general practitioner. You want to be a general pediatrician. And then I actually trained in respiratory pediatrics. Actually, I did my MSc in Asian children with cystic fibrosis. And I did my MD looking at sickle cell children. So it's interesting. I've always been interested in the interface between health and culture. And I've always gravitated towards those environments. And then when this job came up as a first general pediatrician working in the international department, for me, it was a dream come true, really. So it wasn't a completely straight course, really. My love of pediatrics led me into pediatrics rather than me deciding that's what I wanted to do from the outset. I'm jolly pleased I did. I've loved it. Always nice to hear from someone who really loves what they choose. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Would you mind just telling us about the pros and cons of your specialty? So, I mean, general pediatrics usually is a specialty in district general hospitals, although that is changing and general pediatricians can now be found in primary care, supporting pediatric care 
in the primary care setting. That's a very much an evolving specialty. Because of the huge improvements in healthcare, particularly accidents and infectious diseases, the majority of general pediatric inpatients now tend to be very short-stay children or children with very complex comorbidities. So that's the sort of typical work of a general pediatrician. The general pediatrics that we do here at Great Ormond Street is looking after very complex children. It's almost like an, another specialty within general pediatrics. It's looking after the child with multi-system involvement, often sadly with life-limiting conditions. But our role is to try and think about the child holistically and see what we can help with. And sometimes, even if we can't help, presenting that respectfully and gently to the families is very important. And for them to know that they have done their best in advocating for their child and they have really got a sense that the specialists that they needed to see have seen their child and and they've got the best advice for their child, however hard sometimes that is to receive. So my role is quite a different role to sort of the conventional general paediatrician, but the sort of complex care general paediatrician is evolving in the United States, the children's hospital is there. This is a very well-recognized specialty. And we have got now a team of 10 general pediatricians working at GOSH, consultant pediatricians. So, you know, as a specialty, we are recognized as consultants who are very comfortable and competent looking after a range of pathophysiologies and can speak alongside our specialist colleagues and fill in the gaps and support the overall direction of travel. We'll also also have a role, an important role in education and training medical students who come to our hospital and elective students who are obviously going to be examined in general paediatrics rather than specialty paediatrics. So we can give them a flavour of that and make sure that they're at the standard that they need to be for when they get examined once, once they go back to their medical school. Thanks for explaining that. It's, uh, it's good to know the sort of differences between your role depending on, on the hospitals that you work in. And... But looking back, if you had to give yourself some advice, would there be anything that you'd, you'd want to say? You know, I, I think of all the questions so far, that's kind of the hardest, really, because I think when you're really new to medicine, particularly when you start at medical school, it's so overwhelming in terms of just getting through the course and the whole living away from home and, and all the challenges and opportunities you face as a medical student that sometimes you don't really pay too much attention to where you're going to end up. And I think that's a good thing because I think you should just be open and see where you like. And I think that the really important thing, which I was very blessed for me was before I went to India, I worked in adult medicine because I was going to be a GDP and I did my house jobs and then I did some A&E and I did some adult medicine. And I did find that when I went to see those patients, it was particularly three in the morning, because when I worked, it was before the European Working Time Directive. So I often used to do 72-hour shift the whole long weekend. And I just used to really take a sign. It was all a bit hard. And then when I started to do paediatrics, I realised that it didn't matter what time in the morning I was called to see a baby in A&E or labour ward or whenever. There was no internal resistance to it. I could just do it at ease. And I think I would tell my younger self that When you're choosing something to do, you should do something that you find easy to do in terms of your ability to sort of adjust and work in that environment is easy. Now that technical information you need to learn and keeping up with new advances may be challenging, it always is, but actually just the environment, it's important for you to be in the right environment. 
and not to force yourself to be in an environment that you doesn't sit well with you. And so I, I think that's what I would tell my younger self. And those of you who are listening, you will find things that you really surprise. Actually, I'm really enjoying that. I didn't really expect to really enjoy epidemiology or public health or cardiology or whatever it is, but kind of to listen to that because I think that that little voice is very important because it's a long career and it's a hard career and you want to make sure that you're in the right environment that's not really draining you and, and you're finding difficult. And also I would tell my younger self that it would just all work out and, and not to try and be too deliberate and too uptight in planning everything. Just trust that you're going to end up where you need to be and you'll enjoy where you need to be. And, and I think things do work out. And so I, at the time when I was a medical student, I saw a lot of senior consultants who were, had forsaken a huge amount. They often weren't married and kids. They sacrificed a huge amount for their professional careers. And, and I really didn't feel that I wanted to do that. And so I thought I can't consider those kind of careers because I do want to have a family and I, and I want to have a bit of work-life balance. And that doesn't seem possible in that environment. But those things are possible in medicine. And I think I would have told my younger self not to worry so much about that and just to do what I enjoy and the rest would come. So I hope that's answered that question. Thank you so much. That was so inspiring. So what advice would you give to a medical student considering a career in pediatrics? Well, firstly, I would say do it because it's a brilliant, brilliant career. When I think about why it's such a brilliant career, just the whole premise of caring from potentially a baby up until 18, all the challenges that that may bring, reassuring parents, respectfully advising them, that has a huge impact on a whole family. And so there's very few specialties that give you that opportunity to influence so many people's lives, really. And I think that's a very important role and a very necessary role to do well, even when it's hard to do difficult things well, I think is really important. So I would say being a doctor 30 years, and I'm absolutely delighted to have chosen pediatrics. I would say when you're thinking about where to train, consider where you're going to be happiest to train, where your support network is, your friends, your family, wherever it is you need, in addition to your professional life, make sure that you're near that for your training, because some of your training posts can be quite a distance from each other in different deaneries. And so hold out for the place you need to be because it's important that each day you come home and you know you've got that support network around you. I think that makes you a better doctor and a more able doctor and it's good for your own health. So I would say be careful about where you choose to, to be and then just to be open-minded. And if you really like something, even if you get rejected or disappointed, go back to it and try again and try again. I think there's lots of different ways into things. Certainly when I was training to be a paediatrician, in those days, you could train for two years. You could get an SHO training post. And I had come from adult medicine and I needed a job in London and I got a six-month post. And then I went for the training number and I didn't get it. And so I was a bit surprised at the interview. I thought I'd interviewed quite well and the feedback was I'd got quite well, but the, the chair wasn't convinced that I was going to be a bona fide paediatrician for some reason. And so I didn't get a training number. And then I went and did another standalone six-month post, which actually was alongside the rest of these pediatric training posts. And then another one. And each time I got interviewed by the same chair. So it was slightly embarrassing. But at the same time, I remember 
I had to do to get my membership, I had three or four SHO posts. So I got to 18 months. And by the time I'd done my 18 month post, I was pretty much doing my clinical. So it was clear that I was going to be a pediatrician. And the same chair then introduced me at my fourth interview, basically said, oh, we all know Bridget Callahan. She is doing this, this and this. And literally the interview was five minutes and she gave me the post. And the same chair, her name was Sheila McKenzie. She won't mind me telling the story. I then got a lat post at the Royal London doing her registrar job. And even then I was still, mm, shall I do general practice with an interest in pediatrics or shall I keep going with pediatrics? And she said to me, are you going to fill in this training number to be an SBR? And I was like, I was on my way to Glastonbury. I was, was like, not sure. I've got to go to Glastonbury. I haven't filled the form in. I might do that later or whatever. And she sat down with me and she said, look, Bridget, you've got to do this. And so sometimes you get rejections and sometimes you get disappointments. It will all work out if you just keep on keeping on and don't give up and just keep going and you will find out you're where you need to be. So so anybody who's thinking about a career in pediatrics, well done. It's going to be the best specialty, head and shoulders above all the rest for sure, I think. And there are training numbers, plenty of training numbers. Decide where you need to be for your own well-being and then keep going until you get a training post there and it'll all work out. Wow, feeling very inspired. <laughs> and I suppose to add on to that question, do you think there's anything that medical students or foundation doctors could be doing to make sure that they get that training number? I wouldn't worry too much. I mean, it's like your UCAS form and you're told that you have to be gold D of E and you've got to you know, devise an app and all these things you could do for a UCAS number. It's the same kind of thing. I think if you've got evidence that you've done pediatrics in some way and you like it, whether as a foundation doc or you've done an elective in it, or you've shown that you're interested in it in some way and report that, I think that's important. But I think it's a multi sort of OSCE type interview now for training numbers. And I think if you're just authentic and you can really give a clear enthusiasm for why you're treating pediatrics, not just because my mum's a pediatrician, but, uh, you know, I've done it as a foundation doctor. Or I really enjoyed it as a medical student where I chose to do it as an elective. You really can kind of relay that enthusiasm and you have those good skills. I think that comes across. So I think you shouldn't put yourself under too much stress. If you're going in at ST1 as a, a full training number, I think it's quite straightforward. I think then, you know, obviously things get a little bit more competitive. So for general pediatrics, we're really under the spotlight at the minute. So it used to be that everyone wanted to be an ologist. And the default was, if you couldn't get a job as an ologist, you worked as a generalist. So I mean, I train, I'm actually a pediatric pulmonologist in my training, but I work as a generalist. But usually at ST4, they're all competing to become ologists. But you may know now that the Royal College has said that they want 70% of pediatricians to train as generalists and to be qualified as generalists. So general pediatrics is now the sexy new specialty and everyone's going to have to want to be a generalist. And really, the ologists are going to be the minority. So I think at ST4, that's when you're trying to declare your interest to be a generalist. And I think it will be how well you interview and if you've done any audits and QI projects that are interesting, that you're interested in talking about, those kind of things, if you have a few publications at that level, that might help you get the general pediatric training post you want in the centre you want. But I, I think just be enthusiastic and, and be where you want to be and don't feel that you have to do a particular formula to get there because I think enthusiasm and 
credibility and authenticity count for as much as that. Brilliant. We've got one last question for you. So if you could have any career in the world other than your own at the moment, what would it be? Well, I would like to be a writer and I would like to be a film director. And I, I've been thinking about why I, mean, I have started writing. I'm actually writing a book at the moment. It's a novel. It's not a scientific book, particularly. It's a, a novel. And I've got ambitions for this novel to become a film. Okay, so maybe Vicky, in 10 years, you can say, oh, she was on a podcast and this all came true. And I think the reason why I want to do that is because actually, I mean, I love storytelling. I love talking, as you can tell. And I think a lot of doctors do. Parents or patients tell us their story, don't they? And we have to keep the story and work out what the important part of that story is that helps us come to a diagnosis. So our profession is built on stories, isn't it? And also, each day we have so many different stories that present themselves in terms of the way that the patient presents and what's led to that and what will carry on from that. And so I think uh, as doctors, we're quite pulled to drama. We're quite pulled to an interesting story, a conundrum, a challenge. And so, yes, I think it's not surprising that actually I would like to share my stories as a writer. And I think if maybe alongside this career, or maybe once I'm retired, that will be what I concentrate on. Well, maybe we have another pediatrician coming out as a writer and maybe even a theatre production or something. <laughs> yeah. Who knows, Christina? I won't, I won't let fame change me. We'll see. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you here in our podcast and I'm sure students will love listening to your stories and also your recommendations. Thank you. Thank you so much. No much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Vicky. Thanks, Christina. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gosh Pods. We would love to get your feedback about the episode and get your ideas for future topics that you would like to hear covered. You can find a link to our feedback page in the description for the episode or email us at digital.learning at gosh.nhs.uk. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn or visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.